Welcome to another episode of G220 Radio. Today we're going to be discussing Calvinism. I'm Ricky Gantz along with Mike Miller, and we want to welcome you to the program here tonight. Mike, how's things going with you, brother? Doing pretty good. It's been just getting ready. We're about to head on, get some vacation. Although, I guess technically I'm still going to be working, so we're not going to be vacationing, but I'm going to be in a different location and not have all my normal responsibilities of trying to keep a house clean. So it's somewhat of a vacation. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you'd be down in some some warm weather, which uh, I'm warm sure you'll weather. enjoy that. Uh, although Studying. it's not super cold, but you know. yeah. Cool. No, it's it's still Ohio. it's still yeah, you still get snow and stuff like that. But uh yeah, it'll be a good good time to get away, right? And uh yeah, got some that. books, warm study for our January third show. Yeah. You know, um sadly, uh last week I was woke up feeling under the weather and wasn't able to join. So I wasn't able to join you with a Calvin sweater. I thought about wearing it tonight, but I thought, no, we're talking about Calvinism. I don't want to add the emphasis. I didn't even want to put on my, uh, you know, reformed hat over here. Just too much. People be like, oh, it's too much reformed theology with you guys. No. So but, uh, the <clears throat> next the next night after the show, I taught on do I have my. I don't know where I put my. Catechism. Um, so the next night I taught on uh, the Baptist catechism for um at church for the youth group <clears throat> and the question we were dealing with was um did all mankind fall in adam's first transgression i just thought it'd be appropriate to wear my everyone's on the naughty list calvin t-shirt just to just kind of help the kids understand mm -hmm. everyone's on the naughty list. Yeah. Well, I have that shirt. Uh, I, I ended up getting one. I was looking like all week. We Well, I'm not say all week. We were going, whenever we went out, I did go into some thrift stores. I was looking for an ugly Christmas sweater kind of feel. Couldn't find them. I don't know. It must be that time of year. There's like even the everyone buys them. Don't have them. Yeah. yeah. So, um, cause nobody wants to spend like 30, 40 bucks on a, a brand new ugly Christmas sweater that you wear once in a, once in a while, uh, unless you're going to get it from missional wear, I guess, then you, should, you might as well do it. Right. Yeah. Um, but uh, my pastor actually got me a t-shirt. He didn't get, it wasn't the sweater, but it was the, it was a long sleeve shirt uh, with Calvin on it. The same one that, that you have as the sweater. And so uh, I told my wife, I said on Christmas Eve dinner, when the family comes, <laughs> you know, I'm wearing it. Uh. So okay, I am looking forward to wearing that. Uh, it's going to be fun. Hopefully it'll start up some conversation. Although they may not even know what Calvin looks. They might think I have Santa Claus shirt or something on. It says we're yeah, all on the he's wearing, He is wearing a Santa's hat. So mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, that could be very confusing. Yeah. So we'll see how it goes, but I'm going to wear that. And I'm just excited. I'm excited to wear it. Uh, but, you know, Speaking of Calvinism, uh, we did a show a couple weeks ago. I had an a, a individual on who we talked about Calvinism. One of the things that I mentioned in that program is that with him live, I mentioned to him, I think before the program and I think even after the program, 
that the experience that I have, and I'm again, I'm going to say that not every not every experience always dictates truth. I'm not saying that that means it's truthful, but from my experience, the interactions that I've had with people who are opposed to Calvinism, even those who say they used to be a Calvinist, when I start to talk to them, it becomes evident to me that one, they don't really understand Calvinism or Reformed theology. And if they were um, claiming to be a Calvinist, I don't think they really, because they don't understand it, they really were a five-point Calvinist to begin with, right? And so that's been my experience. Again, that doesn't mean that dictates truth. I'm not saying that there isn't someone out there who actually did understand the five points and then walked away and became an Arminian or a provisionist or whatever. You know what I mean? But that's been my experience. Mike, I don't know. Maybe that's the same experience you have, or maybe you have a different one. Yeah, I think I've had similar experiences um, kind of in the same way. Even when I took my reform, Calvin in the reform tradition class, my professor was like, really the only book you should read that kind of counters Calvinism was a Puritan writer. And like, he probably presents the best case against Calvinism. Um, but he was kind of obscure and I don't remember him anymore, but, um, that's kind of the, kind of the book that kind of the one thing I think that's just unfortunate. Like you sent the question over, we're supposed to have a guest on. He hasn't shown up. So we'll bring him in. We can't. But the question you sent over about what's the point of the final judgment and how he words the question makes it sound like he's almost like a Pelagianist in, in the formation. I think there is this, this element with a lot of non-Calvinists, people who reject um, the teaching don't fully understand or it almost seems like to me they they don't understand it because they try to understand it with their presuppositions mm. instead of trying to understand calvinism with the ref with the proper presuppositions and the proper understanding and taking kind of the proper understanding even last, even two weeks ago when we talked about total depravity, well, what does total depravity mean? Well, it's total inability to come. Mm -hmm. That man's nature is bent to sin against God. And something has to happen to change that nature. But even in our conversation, trying to kind of force that issue, because I think that's the important aspect, our guests didn't answer, couldn't answer, what it is, and I feel like most interactions, even with other guests, not just the one two weeks ago, is a failure to try to understand it from our point of view, from our presuppositions. Now, I also think that Calvinists do the same thing. 
And yeah. so this is an admission just for us to try to understand the other side through their presupposition. You don't have to agree with them, but seek to try to understand where they're coming from. Because in understanding, you can better tailor your arguments to say, well, is that really what the biblical authors are saying? Or is that mm -hmm. what the biblical text is saying? So I think there is that um, the discussion, which we kind of talk past each other in these discussions. Right. I think same thing happens in, in the baptism discussion also. Right. And, and that is, like you just said there, Mike, the one thing we want to try not to do is to not talk past each other. And one of the things we're learning, even in at 560 episodes in, right, even after that, that episode a couple weeks ago, Mike and I talked after the program and said, hey, Mike's trying to get it back online uh, with the topic, but there are certain things that I know I was trying to pull out from the guest because it always seems like, and this is what we would say about Calvinism, is when you talk about the, 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 the five points, it all hinges upon total depravity. And so if, if, if you don't start here with this understanding of where are we with the nature of man, then it's hard to then really deal with other aspects because again, and I'll say it right here, as I did say a couple of weeks ago, that it's a dangerous position. And I think it's an unbiblical and heretical position to be one who denies original sin. Um, a couple, I don't know if it was a week ago or so, I was listening to the briefing and, and um, uh, Al Mohler was talking about, somebody asked the question about a heretic. What is a heretic? And he said, to be a heretic is to choose to be a heretic because you're given this information, you reject it, and you choose to believe opposed to it. So one who is then given this information, we're saying, look, the Bible says that Adam and Eve were created with a will, with an ability to, to do what God has commanded them to do. They failed. They sinned. They were, they were created mutable. They could change. They sinned. From that point, man then has been born with this inherited sin nature. Adam being a, a God works in covenant, Adam being this covenant head. And so if if we can understand this is where we're coming from, we're all under Adam, we're all sinners, then we can have this basis to kind of deal with. But I think what tends to happen, Mike, and you can tell me if you agree or disagree, or, or this is the same experience that you've seen, is people then start falling back on emotional appeals rather than dealing with the reality that we're all dead in Adam, we're all born by nature, children of wrath, and they start saying, well, what about babies? Are you telling me that, that babies go to hell if they die? And they start trying to jump to those arguments rather than let's look at where is man's position, what is man's position before God after the fall? Yeah, and I think that's important to think about that idea. What changed in man? Because the idea that, like even the fact that babies die is a is a direct result because of what happened in the garden i mean in one sense richard balsell's book getting the garden right is important and we need to understand what's happening in those kind of first two chapters of genesis the the fact that god created the world and then the focus on the creating of the garden for man to live and dwell and work 
and the resulting sin that comes in chapter two. And a lot of times when we think about kind of the five points tulip, how that um, kind of way to think about reform salvation doctrine is really that first T total depravity matters. I know a lot of times it's a rejection of unconditional election or most often irresistible grace or um, limited. No, atonement. sorry. Limited atonement. Uh, just get them all over the place. Limited <laughs> atonement, but a limited atonement only makes sense in light of the two before it. Mm -hmm. that man is totally unable to come to God and that when God calls him, he comes. And to, to think about how Calvinism, in one sense, logically, and some non-Calvinists do acknowledge this, that it makes logic sense. Now the question is, is it biblical? It may be logical makes sense. But the question is, is it biblical? And I just oftentimes find the Arminian position kind of downplaying God. I think our guest last week wanted to talk about, I kind of mentioned it towards the end, how Calvinism destroys or undermines the remember, character undermines characters of god mm -hmm. well as someone who is reformed calvinistic whatever you want to call me as a baptist i think the same thing happens because if you consider his whole god looks when you asked him do you think god looks down the corridors of time well now if god's looking down the corridors of times to see what's happening God isn't sovereign. He doesn't have complete control because now he's bound by what he sees in time. Mm -hmm. And I realized like they wouldn't, they'll probably try to work around it. And I, I'm not as fresh as I used to be on some of these arguments. So I'm not going to try to pretend to, but that seems problematic from, the fact that God controls all things mm -hmm. and has a purpose in which will come apart. My pastor was talking about this um, in the Balak's second attempt to get Balaam to bless him and curse Israel. And you get that wonderful let me try to pull it up here real quick in uh numbers 24 where you get this um this oracle from balaam in which he says Nope, sorry. It's 23. It was off chapter. 
God is not man that he shall lie or the son of, of son of man that he should change his mind. He mm-hmm. has said, will he not do it? He has spoken. Will he not fulfill it? Behold, I receive command to bless. He has blessed and I cannot revoke it. He has not held the misfortune in Jacob, nor has he seen trouble in Israel. It's not. And as he was talking about, you see this idea that God has spoken his plans regarding Israel and he's not going to change it. He has right. decided to bless him and he won't change that. Now that's rooted in his, the fact that God is unchangeable, but God has a purpose. God has a plan. And if God has to look down the t- corridors of time to see what free agents will do, he's now bound by it. He's not, he doesn't rule over time in history. He is bound by it. Mm-hmm. So I think, again, you're looking at something that diminishes who God is. Well, and, and something that you just brought that out that I think also, I mean, I don't want to get too far off track here and make this about original sin and, and open theism, but this right here, what you just stated from Numbers chapter 23, God is not a man that he should lie or the son of man that he should change his mind. It's even like in that conversation we had a couple of weeks ago where the man was, and which I mentioned to him, it's a dangerous position, open theism. This idea that God doesn't know. When we start looking at anthropomorphic or anthropopathic uh, language in Scripture that is relating to us either God in a way of identifying Him or in the way He's um, interacting with us, more anthropopathic language, we can't take that and then try to make it make God a man and say, well, when He says, you know, that. God changed his mind or God repented that old King James kind of language. We can't see that in the same sense that God needed to change his mind because again, what we're seeing here is God's not a man that he would change his mind. So we have to then try to reconcile that. That's not a contradiction in scripture, but we have to reconcile that how God is speaking to us in a way as human beings that we can understand and relate to things while yet not um, corrupting or not corrupting, not um, undermining his character. And again, it goes back to why I think that the other position does end up undermining the character of God because uh, James White says that the consistent, and I'm sure he's probably not the only one that says this, but I know he said it, a consistent Arminian is an open theist. Because mm-hmm. how do you get around God's decreeing everything. God has purposed everything. He has planned everything from beginning to end. How do you get around that if you're so adamant against it? Well, you start denying the omniscience of God. Yeah. And you also start denying God's providence. Mm -hmm. I'm just going to do it, man. Live in the Baptist catechism to help. What is God's providence? I think it's helpful. What are the works of, what are God's works of providence? God's works of providence are his most holy, wise, and powerful, preserving, governing all his creatures and all their actions. It's God's most, uh, and when you think about it, and when it talks about who God is, what God is, it's God's most holy, wise, and powerful 
will. That what he does using sinners to advance his will is most wise, most holy, and most powerful. And that he's governing all of his creatures. That he's he rules over them. And might say, and with modern philosophy, that makes us fatalist. But the Bible clearly holds that man is responsible for their understanding. And even kind of in the question of, <clears throat> let me get the, get the question phrasing right, just to, to interact with it. Um, well, as you're doing that, as you're getting the question, um, just want to reiterate out here, we were supposed to have a guest on tonight. Um, he did say that he had to use a phone to do so. Uh, and even before the program, I was looking into it and it can be difficult if you don't use an Apple phone uh, with Safari or you don't have the right connections because that seems to be the one that'll let you on. So it could be that he's not with us because he's having some technical difficulties. We're not, not aware. Uh, or maybe he got the time mixed up. He's in different time zones. So that's why we don't have our guest uh, with us right now. But if he happens to come in, we'll bring him on and uh, continue to talk through this topic uh, until the bottom of the hour. And then if not, we'll just either try to reschedule for another time or it is what it is. Right. Yeah. But go ahead, Mike. So the question that you sent to me, from him as if God predetermined for a certain group of people to be in hell born without the capacity to be saved doomed from the womb, so to speak. How, why does the great throne, the great white throne judgment come into play? What is the purpose of God's judging anyone? If he's the one who determined everything in the first place. And maybe this brings about my lapsarian view where I th think how do we consider the fall in light of God's sovereign plan? But the question that if God predetermined a group, a certain group for hell is kind of misstated. It's as if he was like, well, I'm just going to send these people to hell. I think, and I think that the, the Bible bears this out is that we're all in that group mm -hmm. and he chose to save some that he showed as Paul would say, he chose some earthly vessels and made them holy. He chose some for his good purpose. And because I think if you if you flip it the other way around, again, I think that leads into a Pelagian view that one could work their way to heaven, though they're most likely going to sin. Or that in some way man is able in their sinful state to believe in God. And that just, I guess, believe in the Bible that says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And that no one believes in God. No, not one. No one is righteous. And that you have to be holy to see God. It lends to, I guess, that, that idea of total depravity. That's God has to do something 
to change man. Yeah, I, I think it, and it even comes back to what I mentioned earlier when it comes to when we start talking about original sin and people fall back on emotions. It's the same type of argument that then comes out, I think, because you think of those individuals who are pushing against this idea that God is sovereign over everything, including the decree of all things, and de the decree of the fall in the garden. Uh -huh the decree of who's going to go to heaven and who's not going to go to heaven. God's in control of all this. He's in, in, in sovereign control of all of it. The first thing that those who uh, are opposed to that theology, they start thinking about, well, what about my loved one who's not a Christian? Uh -huh. They may not be elect. And then they're going to spend all of eternity. That's not fair. Yeah. It comes to this emotional appeal. I, I remember when I was teaching in uh, an old Baptist church that I grew up in and then became a, a genuine believer when I was 32 and went back to this church, was there for five years teaching and and um, um, just there serving. And there was a young mother, young teenage mother, who really struggled with this idea of Calvinism because of this. What if my kids aren't elect? It's that emotional appeal, that emotional um, reaction that I think tends to be the excuse of people. And I say the excuse because yeah. the scriptures completely, because even if, even if you wanted to take the idea that it is upon God's allowing people to have this free will to choose him or not choose them, and you put it on man, right? And even if you want to say God looks down the corridors of time and sees what's going to happen, even if you want to take those positions and say that, it's not biblical, but even if you wanted to take those positions and say that, what I usually interact with people and say to them is, does God change? Most often, unless they're an open theist, they'll say, no, God doesn't change, right? If they're trying to be somewhat consistent, they'll say, no, God doesn't change. So if God's not changing, and he looks down the quarters of time, and before the foundation of the earth was even laid, he already established which individuals was going to choose him and which ones were not going to choose him. That can never change. Did he not put into play, did he not bring into being his that plan that these people would never choose him and he creates them knowing they're going to hell with no opportunity ever to change that because that's what he already knew was going to take place, right? So they find themselves in a similar situation of trying to think through it, except I think when you look at it from the reform perspective, we're giving the glory to God and not saying, well, it's man, but then God's just letting them live out the decision that he already knew they were going to do from the beginning. And that's never a possibility of changing that. Does that make sense? Yeah. It does. And I think that plays into kind of what um, this comment, this um, comment, that conversation with Christians uh, put um, when someone says, but my free will or my free agency slash free will, it's totally fair to ask them what the Bible says about, which is essentially nothing. <clears throat> I guess maybe the one pushback I would have with that is I do think the Bible presents that humans 
choose freely within their nature, within who they are. So I make valid decisions to eat a hamburger, to sin against my children or sin against whoever, that that was a choice that I made in my nature. Um, obviously, as a Christian, you have that fight in the nature. Um, but I think it's that libertarian free will understanding because the, the Baptist catechism, the Baptist or the, the second London uses free will talks about mm -hmm. free will. Um, so I think it, it's making that distinction that no, it's not that Calvinists don't believe in free will. We just believe that our, our wills are free within the bounds of our nature. Right. Which does that really mean it's free will? I mean, does a kid have can do whatever he wants if you tell him to stay inside the gate? Like he's free to do whatever as long as he stays inside the yard? I mean, that's kind of what we're arguing for um, with it. But I think it's that libertarian free will. The idea that as a man, I can choose to do otherwise. Which I think just flies kind of in the face that... I can't choose just to believe God without something happening, without my nature changing. And I mean, this is what I was taught in my philosophy class at Liberty. They're Arminian. They held to a libertarian free will. And I appreciate my professor. He's brilliant, has published books by Ox Oxford. You just don't get your pu books published by Oxford. Um, it takes a, a certain amount of scholarliness and and clout to print. But kind of in the end of the day, though I may not know philosophy as well he as he does. I feel that pull of I can choose otherwise. But the Bible is also very clear that men are born in sin and trespasses, following mm -hmm. the course of the air, following the principality. And even if you restrict that to the language that Paul's talking about just the Gentiles, he brings himself that they were all um, children of wrath and deserving God's wrath. And I didn't choose to be a sinner in one sense. Now, Adam made that choice for me, but I choose to sin in the freedom. And that anytime I tried to do righteousness, it wasn't a godly righteousness. It was trying to bring favor upon my life by hoping that God would bless me in my righteousness, trying to manipulate him. That's how we do it. I think that just, that's what Lee, I think that's what kind of the, that type of free will brings about. Um, again, then God is kind of being held back by his the creaturely freedom and mm -hmm. God can't be completely sovereign over all that. Yeah.
Yeah, I think that's that is definitely um, there is this misconception. I think that it comes when those who are opposed to Calvinism, and to some, to to be honest, it's there are those Calvinists who are very anti free will. So that and so. They may mean it. They may even mean it in the sense of man doesn't have the ability to come to God. They don't have the the will to come to God of their own. But the way they speak about it is as if man doesn't have this will at all to act within their their nature in the old nature, or or then when their nature is freed by God, for them to actually live out and and follow the the precepts of the Lord. They have this kind of way in presenting that that causes individuals who are opposed to Calvinism to see that and then again react accordingly. But we don't believe that man doesn't have free will. I remember posting um, the uh, on free will of the 1689 and when and posting it and people were saying, wait, are you saying that there's man has free will? Cause the first paragraph speaks about man's will. And I think it's in God's decree. Um, I'd have to go back. I don't remember what, what cha- it's in the beginning of the chapters of the 1689, but it, that first paragraph, I don't remember which chapter, the first paragraph speaks about it. And our guest is with us. And when I posted that, they, got all bent out of shape because they thought, what are you saying? Free will, but this is the reformed position. Hey, Jordan, welcome to the program, man. Hey, sorry about the time confusion there. That was, that was my bad, man. No, I understand. We got about, uh, we'll say 20 minutes left in the program. Um, so we were kind of just going with it, um, without you being here, we did kind of talk about the question that you had sent in with the, uh, great white throne judgment, but we can talk a little bit more about that. Uh, any questions okay. you have right now, we've just yeah. been kind of talking about Calvinism. Why don't you go ahead and tell us a little bit about yourself uh, a little bit, sure. kind of keep it brief. Uh, and then we'll get yeah. into some back and forth dialogue. Sure. Uh, my name is Jordan and uh, married. I got four kids and one on the way, literally due in like two weeks. Oh, congratulations. Um, yeah. Thank you very much. I uh, work full time. Um, I'm a Christian um, I guess a brief statement of faith. I believe um, that uh, Jesus Christ is the creator, according to John 1, Colossians 1. Uh, I believe that <clears throat> he was sent to this earth to die for all of our sins and that uh, salvation is a free gift. It can't be earned by works. It's by grace through faith alone. Um, so that's just me in a nutshell. I go to work. I go home. I go to church. That's my life, man. Well, we're glad to have you on. I, I came across you. I don't know if it was from you interacting with me or me interacting with you. Um, I think it was some time ago dealing with Marcus Rogers. Maybe it was a video I seen or something. Um, yeah, yeah. And then uh, we interacted. I don't know you personally um, from our interactions, uh, as I try to do with everybody, giving people the benefit of the doubt of those who claim to be Christians, giving them the benefit of the doubt. Uh, mm-hmm. because there are certain things, obviously, that would put someone outside of the Christian faith, right? right? So there are things that until those things become made known, we try to be gracious and give people the benefit of the doubt. Absolutely. So 
with that being said, some of the things we covered right off the bat, and I just want to throw these quick ones out at you and maybe you could uh, shoot them out the answer and uh, we don't have to get too deep into them, but I just kind of curious where you are. Do you believe mm -hmm. in original sin? Do you believe that men are born sinners? Yes. Okay. So we, we, we're born sinners. Do you believe, you believe that God knows all things that he's not changing his mind or, or, um, even though the, the, the scriptures speak of this language, repenting, changing his mind, he knows all things, which is going to come to pass. He's um, uh, omniscient in all things. Yeah. Okay. Yes, yeah. So those are some of the things we kind of, we covered that already because in a lot of conversations that we have with those who are opposed to Calvinism, once you start asking those questions, because we do believe we have brothers and sisters in Christ that are not Calvinists that we go out on the streets and evangelize with. We love them. We have differences mm -hmm. theologically, but we're, brothers. We believe that man is saved by grace through faith in Christ and Christ alone. It's not based upon any works. There's no works to keep your salvation. There's no works to get your salvation. It's all based upon Christ and Christ alone. But when we start yeah. to find some of those, those, those issues with individuals that we speak with, they'll start to deny original sin, that we're not born sinners. We're born basically neutral and then we sin, or they'll deny the, the omniscience of God. And those things we do believe are damnable heretical essential. positions yeah they're essential now somebody can be ignorant maybe not understand and then when they're brought into an understanding if they continue to reject it then that's a serious problem um because right, we do yeah. know that yeah. people aren't even saved based upon their understanding of theology right because we're all still growing and learning all right mm. so just wanted to kind of throw some of those things out there i know you believe in the trinity um and uh you've already mentioned and i've seen your videos you believe in the gospel it's a uh, mm -hmm. christ alone so so we consider you a brother. Uh, hopefully you'll do the same with us as Calvinists. But, uh, yeah. you know, but let's kind of go ahead and, and maybe you could throw some of those. Let's go ahead and phrase your question again. We did talk about it, but why don't you phrase the question about the great white throne judgment? And then Mike will sure. kind of, you know, try to interact with you. Yeah, sure. So my main question with the white throne judgment is um, it, it, it ties into um, the, the Calvinists doctrine of um i guess it would tie into election um but mainly like determinism so essentially and correct me if i'm wrong um god preordained predetermined every movement and work of man in eternity past he preordained um everything you would do i would do everybody on this planet who's ever existed he preordained their works and movements. And so is that right? Would you say consistent yes. with, okay. So, um, so with that, I guess kind of being the foundation of my question, the white throne judgment, specifically revelations, uh, or revelation chapter 20, verse 13, where it says, um, um, can I read it real quick? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Um, where it says, and the sea, <clears throat> and the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them, and they were judged every man according to their works. So <clears throat> this is great white throne judgment, and the judging that's going on here by God is, um, I'm sure you would agree, a a judicial sentencing judging like that greek word there i think it starts with a k it's like crony or something like that um 
So God is judging these people at the great white throne judgment, who I believe are um, um, all unbelievers at this point at the, at the great white throne judgment. Um, I believe these are all unbelievers there. I know some, um, there's some Calvinists who believe that it's a judgment of all there's believers and unbelievers there. I don't know where you stand on that, but um, anyways, either way. Um, so God is judging these people at the great white, great white throne judgment according to their works. So my question is, if God predetermined, if God predetermined, preordained these people to do the works that they did or that they're doing, how is it that he's then judging them according to those same works here at the white throne judgment? He's sentencing them. He's condemning them for the works that he predetermined to do in the first place is, is, is my question. I guess what, I guess, how do you make sense of that? You know, from, from the Calvinist uh, perspective. Right, right, yeah. right. Mike, go ahead. I got one question first. Are you a former Calvinist? Yes, no. Okay. I'm not. Because I had a different question. <laughs> had, that, had that answer a bit different. Okay. Um, I guess kind of how what I would first go to and to think about, because I think it's related, is in Acts 2, how would you understand the language that Peter uses to talk about the death of Christ? Let me pull it up here. Um, when he's talking, you're saying when he's talking to the Jews and, and, and basically um, telling them, like, this is the Messiah and where he's pretty much preaching the yeah. gospel. Yeah. So when it says that this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified mm -hmm. and killed by the hands of lawless men. So you have this idea, at least kind of how I understand it, is that you have God's providence, is what we would, would call it, God's, God's working out his will in creation, the definite plan and foreknowledge. And then yet the Jews are also accused of killing him, that they played a part in that plan. Now, mm -hmm. we're not determinist. I'm not a determinist. I'm a compatibilist. Um, okay, what does that, I guess, so break that define down? It, yeah. So what I believe, that there is a tension between God's definite plan and how he works all things for his glory and that men have choices within their nature that God has in one sense determined has ordained would probably be the better word in which they act out. So it is their actual choice based within their nature. So are they, do they have a nature that is opposed to God before they're saved? Or is it a nature that has been changed by the spirit in which they now see the things of God, um, though battling sin because sin is ingrained in us, but have the power now by God's grace to overcome their sin. 
and that we have kind of maybe seemingly contradictory ideas. And so kind of to why I think that's important. So how we understand Acts 2 helps, I think understanding Acts 2 sheds light in Revelation 20. Because I just, like you kind of mentioned, I think he's, it's not just um, unbelievers. I think what you read at the end is unbelievers. Um, I think the first part is a collection of both believers and unbelievers who are in uh, maybe kind of just glancing over as you're reading it. Mm-hmm. So, so I, so to have that is that they are being judged for the sins because they chose to sin. They chose to disobey. They chose to not believe. And that is their great folly. Um, But God uses and ordains their folly to accomplish his purpose. Okay. Okay. Uh, could I intercept briefly? Yeah. Um, okay. So he said they chose to sin. Do you, mm-hmm. do you believe in a, like man has a choice? Yeah. In accordance like with his will, na- I guess. Well, in accordance yeah, with his so nature. I, Go ahead. Mike. Yeah. So his choice, his choice is in accordance with his nature. So, that sinful men okay. will only choose to do sinful things. Okay, and those who so... have been regenerated by the spirit while in tension with their flesh may sin given that the spirit dwells in them in the new covenant has the mm-hmm. power to overcome their sin. Okay. Let me get this right. So you're saying that it's their choice to sin but only because they are um, their nature, uh-huh. their choosing to sin is basically connected to their um, their sin nature at its core. Them being yeah. depraved is what you're saying, right? Yeah, I think that's kind of... that's the context of choice that you're talking about. Is yeah, yeah. Well, that's one of the things we we was talking about before you came on, Jordan, is there's a a lot of misconception when it comes to Reformed theology that we don't believe in a free will or we don't believe that man makes choices. We do believe that man makes choices. We do believe that man, um, you know, acts upon his will, but in accordance with his nature. We're all dead in our sins and trespasses when we're apart from God. We're all by nature children of wrath. From the womb, we go telling lies. We are, you know, um, uh, wicked since birth, birth, for for example, right? Or not example, that's what the scriptures say. By our very nature, we are children of wrath. And so unless God changes that nature, we will, we may, we may do things in society that a man may do something good for his neighbor, but it's not something that can make him right with God. God has to change the nature. That person doesn't desire the things of God unless God changes that nature. So man does make choices uh, according to his nature. 
Then when that regeneration takes place, then we believe that there's uh, the gospel is the power unto, unto, or of God unto salvation. So when the gospel is preached and, and God is saving and regenerating individuals, then that nature changes. And then that man now is no longer bound by that sin nature. Now he's free to act out upon God's decrees, upon God's uh, commands and, and be obedient to God. Um, does that make sense or am I kind of it's a little bit confused and it's me, you know, just trying to wrap my head around it because so I, I kind of get what you're saying. You're muted, Mike. <clears throat> um, Sorry, I was just go ahead. I was going to add it took me a little bit to fully understand all of it. So. You know, well, I just, I just, right. if you just heard it the first time, then maybe like, yeah, well, that doesn't really compute. And I'm just, but that's one of the things we were talking about before is a lot of people have this misconception. They think Calvin and some, some of it's because of some Calvinists that say man has no free will. We believe man doesn't have the ability to come to God on his own, not by his own free will choice, but God changes that nature. He then gives you a desire for him. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Once the Lord gives you that regeneration and you taste the Lord, you don't want anything else. You, you can't so, not taste that. So, so that right there, um, him changing a person's nature, that mm -hmm. was predetermined in eternity past for, you know, for that individual who God chose to change, you know, he chose to change their nature, right? That you mm -hmm. would believe he he chose that he chose to do that in eternity past. Right. Yes. Uh -huh. And so for those that he didn't choose, for those that he didn't choose in eternity past, um, they ultimately end up at the, at the white throne judgment. Right. Mm -hmm. Yep. And at the white throne judgment, they're being condemned and sentenced according to their works, what they've uh -huh. done right or their lack yep. of belief essentially so what i'm trying to i guess <clears throat> what i'm trying to wrap my head around and um the reason i have this question is because even with everything you said i go back to the white throne judgment and it comes down to okay god free uh god in eternity past chose these specific people um not to have or, or not to be a part of the body of Christ or not to be saved. So now they're here at this white throne judgment being judged and sentenced and condemned for something that they literally had, you know, no, they didn't, they're not the ones who, so I guess that's the Let thing. Me, they, uh, yeah. I, I get what you're, where, what you're saying here. Let me try to, See if I can explain. Can I, can this I say something real yeah, quick? Go, yeah, go ahead. It's like it's like me. It's like <laughs> me teaching my son, or it's like me making my son. I guess this is how I think about it. It's like me making my son rob banks, and then calling the feds and telling them you know, telling the feds to arrest him for robbing banks. So he gets the maximum sentence. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. But that's where we would say that the scripture never teaches that God causes anyone to sin. When we think of God's decree or God's provision, 
in mm -hmm. um, as he has providentially laid out his plan from the beginning to the end. This is what's going to come to pass. It's, it's been stated, and I don't want to get too high into like scholarly, like, um, because I'm not a scholar, but I've heard let's take people it, let's, try to. Can we take it back this. to like Adam? Well, we can, but let me try to explain okay. this. So you have the first cause, God is the first cause of all things, and then he uses these secondary causes. So he has decreed from eternity past, he was going to create Adam and Eve, and mm -hmm. he was going to place in the garden this tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He decreed that Adam and Eve would sin. He didn't, he didn't, he wasn't caught off guard. We've already established you don't believe that he was, uh, he, he didn't know everything. He knew before he even put Adam and Eve in the garden, before he even created the earth and the heavens and the earth, he knew that mm -hmm. he was going to decree this plan that Adam and Eve was going to be placed in the garden. They were going to sin. And from that sin, he was going to bring forth a Messiah, bring forth one who would come and redeem his people. And that's what all of time has been established to bring forth. And so this was his plan. He didn't force Adam to sin. The Bible says God is not the author of sin. He doesn't cause us to make those choices. He doesn't force us to sin. That's not what God, the Bible teaches us that, that God does. We do that he, then out of our own nature. Did, did he decree Adam to sin? He decreed it. But that's what I'm saying. This is the plan that he had set forth before the foundation of the world. So... As I was saying to Mike earlier, when God, God can't change, correct? Right. right. So anything that he knows, let's just say that he allows man to have free will uh, in everything, right? And so before he creates the world, before he said, let there be light, he knew that Adam was going to sin in the garden, correct? Correct. He knew every single individual that was going to go to heaven and that was going to go to hell, correct? Right. And the plan and of yet, salvation was and the plan of salvation was established before the foundation yet, of the world. And yet his decree, his plan was to let that unfold as he has planned it, knowing all of this is going to take place. Now let me mm -hmm. let it unfold. So when he did that, before he created everyone, he knew Jordan was going to trust in Christ. Now we would say that those who trust in Christ are the elect. And we can get into a conversation of that, but I'm just trying to, to show this unfolding. He knew Jordan's going to, is one of mine. Mm -hmm. Ricky's one of mine. Mike's one of mine. These are people that in John six, it says the father has given to him. These are people that he is before the foundation of the world. They were going to be in Christ. They were, they were his given to him. So he that was knows the that. other discussion we had briefly yeah. on one of your threads was foreknowledge. I was saying he right. elects us according to foreknowledge, right? Yeah. Right. But so he's not, that can't never change. So that, that um, laying forth the, the foundation of the world, bringing forth the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, knowing that Adam and Eve was going to sin, once he created it, that could never change. His plan was set forth. It will, it will never go off of course of what he has planned. Does that make sense? Yeah. yeah okay. So when you get sense. to the when you get to the the great white throne judgment, then so let me use this as another example. We're reformed. We evangelize. We go on the streets. We preach the gospel. We share the gospel. And oftentimes we get critiques and say, "Why does reformed people evangelize? Don't you believe God has the elect and He's going to save them anyway?" Well, not only does God plan the beginning from the end, He also plans the means by which to bring it about. So he uses his children, 
Blessed are, or how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. How will they hear the gospel unless there's one that preaches it? You know, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the words of Christ. And so mm -hmm. we preach the gospel as the means by which God has ordained to bring forth his other children, to bring forth he who has an ear to hear, let him hear, and eyes to see, let him see. So right. he brings forth not only the, the ends from the beginning, but the means by which to get there. And part of that would be at the great white throne judgment, allowing these people to live out in this nature that, yes, it's because of Adam, Adam sinned. So we're all born with this sin nature we inherit from Adam and Eve. Right. And so then we, we are we are sinners by nature. And then at some point, a child acts out upon that sinful nature and that sin becomes their own. Right. So they're inheriting the sin nature. They're guilty because of their sin nature. They can never change that nature unless God changes that nature. Um, but at some point as they're growing, then they act upon that nature and they sin of their own desire, of their own will. You know, the, what does the what does the Bible say in the, uh, I think it's James where you sin comes from the desire, you, the things you want, and then you act upon it. I think that's uh, what it says in James. And so they, they was... act on those. Go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, but it was, but it was decreed for them to act upon those sins. You right. know what I'm saying? Well, but God's not forcing them to do so. We're in that nature. Like man is under Adam. Every individual is under Adam. Would you agree? Mm -hmm. Okay. So then they didn't do anything of their own sin to be born a sinner. It's just, that's how God works through covenant. Adam is this, he makes this covenant of works with Adam in the garden. Don't eat of this tree. The day you do, you will surely die. He eats from that, that disobedience because of mm -hmm. one man, sin comes into the world that we're all born in sin. And then death as a result of this sin, yeah. just like the other Adam, the second Adam, Christ, Christ now becomes that covenant head of all those who believe in him. So all those who come to Christ, not because of anything they've done, just like those in Adam who initially their nature is, is uh, sinful because of their, their head, Adam, their father, Adam. But then those in Christ, they've done nothing to be, have Christ as our uh, federal head or our covenant head. We've done, we have done nothing. You haven't done anything to earn it. I haven't done anything to earn it. I can't do anything to keep it. It's because of what Christ done, but because then when we're under him, now we receive the blessing of being under his covenant, under or being in covenant with, with Christ, right? And so he those those people play it out throughout time, making their own choices. He doesn't force them because the Bible says God is not the author of sin. He doesn't make man sin. And so they're 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 making the decisions, they're consistently rebelling against God and in rejection against God. And here's the here's the, the thing with grace. Hold on, let me, can I pause you right there real quick? Sure, sure, go ahead. Because that's, I think that's where I'm getting caught up because, you know, you talk about them, um, the unsaved, um, consistently rebelling against God, right? But it was set for them to do that from eternity past. Like they were decreed to do that. That it was, it's their only purpose on earth from eternity past, God decreed them to be rebellious and continuously reject them. Like he's the one that decreed that decreed it to be that way. So I'm, I'm that's, that, that's my disconnect here 
is okay. I hear what you're saying, but right, right. At the same time, okay, because you're you're <clears throat> you're going back to how okay this this person is in their in their in their sinful nature, they're in Adam, right? But it's them choosing to um, act out in disobedience and rebellion and wickedness and make these sinful choices. It's them doing that and continuously rejecting God. But God, you know, from your viewpoint, is the one who decreed it to be so for that individual. He's the one that said, okay, um, essentially, you're going to reject me and I'm, I'm making it this way because that's my decree. And I, I can't, you know what I'm saying? That being the case, right. and then being judged. And but that's what I was saying, like with, with the idea of, because I hear you and I, and I understand for those who, um, it can be difficult for people to grab, to wrap their head around this idea, right? Especially if, 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 because we all have presuppositions. We talked about that a little bit in the beginning. But this is why I say when God lays forth this plan, he's decreed these things to take place. Those individuals that he knows will never come to him. Mm -hmm. He knows so before he creates them, correct? Yes. And so when he creates those individuals, if he knows from the, the very beginning that they will never come to him and yet mm -hmm. puts that plan into action, this was his purpose, that yes. they will never come to him. Even if you believe in free will, they'll never come. That can never change. Correct. I agree. I agree. So, and that's that, you know, that's where I stand is, is his foreknowledge, him knowing who would be saved and who wouldn't be saved. You know, that's, that's kind of where I, that's where I keep it. Okay. That's where I stay is his foreknowledge. He knew exactly who would trust <clears throat> in Christ, who would be saved. And he knew, knows and he knew um, who wouldn't. He knows who wouldn't, right? For all eternity, from eternity past, he knew, okay, these people are going to be saved, and he knew these people are never going to trust in the finished work of Christ. He knew that from eternity past, absolutely, 100%, 100 uh, agree with that. And that's, in, in terms of election, you know, that's that's where I stay, is, is his foreknowledge. And knowing that, like, he knew I would one day accept um, the finished work of Christ. I would realize that, yes, that's true. Jesus Christ is the Messiah. He died for my sins. And it's because of his finished work that I can have eternal life and spending eternity with the Father. He knew in eternity past that Jordan would trust in his son, right? Yeah. And because I think that would be the... Him, I'm sorry, go, go ahead. ahead. Finish your thought. No, I was just going to say, and and I guess so, if you know, if we're talking about election, I would say I'm I'm his chosen um according to his foreknowledge. I'm a believer. I'm a believer today, and he knew I would be a believer um in eternity past. Okay. So kind of the question that I have is how does God know? in his foreknowledge that you would believe? Uh, because he can, he can see eternity, past, present, so, future. He's all knowing. Okay. So he is, 
so he can see the future, but he's not in one sense controlling the future. He's not controlling time. Would you say that? Controlling time. What do you mean? That is if he, I mean, we say he sees the future because that's how we perceive it. Mm -hmm. But if God is seeing that you chose to believe in him, to trust in him. Mm -hmm. Yep. He saw that, that would, in eternity past. He saw that in eternity past. That means that time is hopefully <clears throat> sorry. I usually go to learning like, yeah, is, is, now is, is God. And I, and I, from, from talking to you, Jordan, um, I would think you would say God doesn't learn anything. He's not a right. man that he learned. Right. So then how would you, then I think this is where Mike was trying to get to as well is, then how does he know? Is he looking down the quarters of time in the future and learning what man would do and then basing it upon that? I think he just knows. I wouldn't say he learns um, in terms of how he, like the mechanics of how he just knows. I don't know. <laughs> but I, would, I wouldn't say he learns. I would say he just knows. So he just, okay, I'm trying to think through it. That would be my, that would be my honest answer to that. So when you're saying he looks down, time he looks to eternity, he just knows. Not in well, the sense of like eternity be being down. a hallway. Yeah. yeah, like yeah, not like in the sense of eternity like being a hallway, and he's looking down to like you know two thousand whatever. Um, I would say he just knows, like not him looking forward through a tunnel of eternity or future. Go ahead. Go well, ahead. That, uh, that would then ask, cause me or bring up this question then that I would ask you. So if mm -hmm. he knows, which we all agree and th this, we all agree here, God knows. So yeah. the fact that God knows before he even created Adam and Eve, before he laid the foundation of the world, mm -hmm. he knows such and such people are not going to come to him is then because here's, here's what I, what I see, right? You have those who are not on the reform side of things that say man has the free will. Um, and you're being consistent with the scripture saying, God, there's original sin. God's not open theist. He, he knows all things. He, he's not looking down the quarter of time and learning anything. He knows it. So, God is creating these individuals that will never come to him for the purpose of judging them at the great white throne judgment to cast them into the, the second death, the lake of fire. Well, it goes back to um, our thread when we were commenting at one point in time in this, I think we talked about this, but um, so believers are born from unbelievers throughout right. eternity. You know what I'm saying? Right. That's how I look at that. So, you know, um, like me, right. And like many other people, just because I'm saved, it doesn't mean my mom's was saved or, you know, your mom was saved yeah. or so 
there's a purpose, right? So unbelievers are born. People who will never trust Christ as their Lord and Savior are born. I think part of part of um, the answer to your question is believers come from unbelievers, if that makes right. sense. No, it, it does. But but that's a key thing you said was there's a purpose. There's a purpose. Mm-hmm. We're, we're all born in the same sinful state. We're all born children of Adam. Mm-hmm. Right. We're all born sinners. And this I is agree. the grace of God that he takes some. He calls out some from among all of the many or from all that are are born dead in their sins and trespasses. And he saves some. He displays his grace. He displays his mercy. He displays his love upon them. Now, again, I don't I don't know all the ins and outs of why or how God does everything. And I don't think anybody would sit here and try to say that they they do. But what we see in scripture and what I do believe with the reformed, the reformed side of things, when we look at this, because because it seems like you're trying to um, I think people on your side of the position are trying to deal with how does this work together? You have God who's sovereign over all things. Man's making these decisions. How does this come together? Right. Look, and so yeah, even. I, I, I was going to say, even on the reform side, this is what we're doing. Okay, so we see man has will, but God is sovereign over all these things. Where What do we do with these tensions that we sometimes find in Scripture? Where we say on the reform side, God has created everything and planned and decreed for all things to come to pass as he has done so before the foundation of the world, before anything was even created, for his glory, to display his grace, to display his mercy, to, disp- to display his love to show that he is just and righteous and holy. And so to do that, he is setting forth a plan, a purpose, where there's going to be a tree in a garden that he says, don't eat from this tree. On the day that you eat, you will surely die. They eat. And so then, therefore, everyone's born in sin. And he says, I'm going to send a redeemer. I'm going to send a savior who's going to come and crush the head of the serpent and look to him. And so all then throughout all of history, it's this pointing forward to this savior who's going to come. Right. And it, it's all about Christ. The whole scripture is all about Christ from beginning to end. And so he's showing his glory. He's showing this um, the world Christ and how God is gracious, loving, merciful in that. But to do so, you've got sin and you've got unbelievers who are going to be judged for their unrighteousness. You see, does that does that at all make any sense or am I? um because there's so much you want to say. There's so much that, like, I wish you would have been able to come on at the beginning. But yeah, uh, no, no, no. That's, but yeah, that's does that fine. does that kind of um, make make sense? What I'm saying here, um, as what we're looking at it and saying, what we see is everything that God has ordained to take place will take place. It can't change because mm-hmm. then God wouldn't be sovereign over it. There's a plan be- behind it. There was a plan that God had. When he said to Satan, who came before him and said, let me, have you considered my righteous, or when he came before him and said, he's been traveling through the world and he says, have you considered my, my righteous servant, Job? There was a plan that God had in that. And there was a plan in God having the Noah's Ark and the destruction of all human, human or humankind, except for the eight souls. There was a plan in mm-hmm. all that, that he had planned before the foundation of the world. So all of that is playing forth as God has determined it. 
which would even include the great white throne judgment of those individuals that he has not forced or coerced to sin. They did so of their own free will. They did son of son of did so of their own choosing to do so. But ultimately it's for his glory. It is ultimately for his glory. That's, that's what we would say on the reform side of that is everything, every decision that God makes it's for his glory to bring about, to show the glory of God, his grace, his mercy, and all of that, not just, his love or, you know what I mean? But go ahead. It's, it's the, um, it's the, you know, when you, when you say that they didn't, they didn't, he didn't, um, make them sin or, um, coerce them into suppressing the truth and unrighteousness, let's say, but he decreed it. He, he, he left them them. He, he predetermined them to do those things, though. That's the disconnect that I have to I have to work through, and I'll I'll leave yeah. it I'll leave it there. But yeah. I had one more I had one more question that's a little unrelated, um, and so, it'll be quick if that's cool. Can I make one comment on that? Yes, sir. So I think you're closer to us than maybe you want to admit. Not that you completely agree with you with us, and I understand that. But in one sense, if you you mentioned that God just knows what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. Then, in one sense, he has to decree it. In, in a sense, then he decreed it. If God just knows what's going to happen. Now, I think that implies that there is some... I think there's... Applying that there is something outside of God in which this is happening. But it's deterministic kind of as you, when you first came on was kind of describing that. So I do think in, in one sense, um, even though you believe kind of in, in our, in, in choosing, I think there is um, some language that we can share there, that there is even in your view, kind of this deterministic, view as you kind of were actually ascribing to us with it. So I think there is some there. That's just something to consider um, about it and what you're saying. Um, Kind of thinking, kind of thinking, trying to think, think through your view and kind of using your words. Um, I'll let you respond and then you can ask your question. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I guess like, in a nutshell, you know, I believe, uh, like you said, like we all believe that um, we're all born sinners. We're all born in Adam. And um, but, you know, obviously I lean towards the, the side of we can exercise our choice in um, choosing to believe in Christ. Right. We hear the gospel and it's like, hey, OK, realizing what I'm hearing is true and believing that, you know, uh-huh. um, <clears throat> believing. So, and I believe then there's the other group of people who obviously suppress the truth and righteousness and go through the Romans one thing. And even when the evidence is all around you, right. in his creation, um, preachers preaching the gospel, stuff like that. So I believe, um, man is born in sin without a doubt in Adam, but, at some point in time, when they hear that gospel, they have the free will to accept or reject it. 
And I believe that God in eternity past knows, you know, if they're going to accept it or reject it. Um, so that's, you know, that that's how I look. That's that's kind of how I see it with the with the white throne judgment thing. It was just. Yeah, it's 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 one of those things where I can't the the decree versus um, his decree versus people who are predetermined to, you know, spend eternity in a lake of fire, uh, his decree versus them choosing to sin that ultimately um, adds to them being in that state, like trying to, trying to, trying to figure out, um, trying to figure out how that all makes sense, you know, from your guys' viewpoint with that is, is difficult, but um, and we're definitely not going to um, get down to figure that, all that. that out in, in an hour. Yeah. yeah. So but this it, is this is my other. Yeah. Go ahead. go ahead. No, go for it. I was just, this is my other question. So, um, I remember, and it's not just you. I remember hearing you you mention this in one of your videos once, um, going through the doctrines of grace. Um, and I, but I've heard other people, other uh, Calvinists, say this as well. But so perseverance, right? So persevering to the end, um, yep. essentially from uh, in reformed theology would be <clears throat> my perseverance to the end, right? My obedience to the very, very end, my last breath would be evidence of me being truly the elect. Would you agree? Well, I would say when we talk about perseverance of the saints, um, mm -hmm. I like the term better preservation of the mm -hmm. saints, but the preservation is from God. It's not me working to keep myself preserved. Um, it's, it's a natural thing. It's a natural outworking of the work of God in an, in a believer that a bad tree cannot bear or a good tree cannot bear bad fruit. Now we may have seasons where we struggle, or we may have a season where like David who sinned, but yet was a man after God's own heart. And then someone had to come to him, Nathan, the prophet and say, you're the man, David. Right. right. And then he no. had to repent. So we may have seasons of that where we struggle, but I prefer the term. And, and when, when, when the five points was put together, we did a show back in a while and Mike would be better at explaining this. Um, uh -huh. It only works in English. And it was yep. a it was a five points towards or against the five points of Arminianism, but I I prefer the 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 phrase preservation of the saints. It is God who is preserving us. So yes, right. one who is because I do believe I know you believe in once saved always saved. I believe that those who God saves, He will preserve till the end. He is the author and finisher of our faith. So He preserves that individual. Now, do we do good works? Yes. We do. Christians should bear good or will bear good fruit. They will we, they will do good works as Ephesians, uh, what is it, 2.10 says that we are his worksmanship, which he has prepared mm -hmm. beforehand that we would walk in them. Um, but one of the things that I often caution people when I'm counseling them at church is that while we do good works, don't ever look to those good works. Now, we, we, we can look and say, okay, somebody seems to be... Um, a Christian, they seem to be displaying good work, but never look to the works as the justification for your faith ever, never, never do that. 
um, always look to Christ. Christ is the justification for our faith. So it is God then preserving us. And from that natural outflowing of the work of God in our hearts, we will do good. You know, we will do what he has laid out before us to walk in. Does that right. make sense? Yeah, I wasn't I wasn't necessarily um, um, referring to the, the P and tulip saying that, you know, preserve, uh, uh, perseverance of the saints and, and going that way. I, my question was, um, let me word it this way. Because you stated in your video that a person, um, if a if a true believer doesn't persevere, and you said persevere to the very end, then they weren't truly um, God's elect. Those were your words. So you believe that? Yeah, if one is not persevering until the end. Um... But you have to understand of what what is being stated by persevering. Um, it's it's ultimately the belief. So you believe in once saved, always saved. Do you believe there's false converts? Yes, yes. So so I would say we 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 probably agree here. Um, oh, so you're saying you're saying the perseverance has nothing to do with um, works. You're saying it's just belief. Well, what does Christ say that this is the work that we should do, that we would believe that he is the son of God, right? I was so just would asking. Him. Yeah, no, I'm saying so. So it is belief. Now, it doesn't, you can't live, you can't live a life of unrepentant sin and be a believer. That's what it says in First John, that those who went out from us proved that they were never really of us. And it says those who have a practicing lifestyle of sin show themselves to not be these you know, children of God. Right. So not that a person can't struggle with a, uh, what's the word, a besetting sin that people may have in life. You know, there may be a season where someone's struggling with something. Um, but the Drug lifestyle addiction. of an, yeah, the, the lifestyle of someone can't be like, I, like we were talking about this in church the, uh, a couple of weeks ago, like when people say, well, I'm a gay Christian. Well, there's no such thing as a gay Christian, Right. You don't go in and say, well, I'm an adulterous Christian or I'm a thieving Christian. No, Christ takes that old nature and gives you a new nature. You become a new creation in Christ. You're now a Christian. You identify with Christ, not your, your past sin. But now someone who const consistently lives in an unrepentant lifestyle of homosexuality, I wouldn't tell that person, yeah, you, you claim to be a Christian. You're a Christian. I'd say you're not showing any signs of being a, a truly regenerate believer in Christ. You need to repent turn to Christ. Right. So if I, if I, if I understand what you're asking, it's not the, the works of man that keep you saved, but we do look at those as evidences, but that is not the justification. It is Christ. Is that? So, yeah. So let's use like a more a subtle example. So um, you're going to church, right? And you, you're at church for 30 years. <clears throat> There's a brother at your church who's, you know, you went out in the street witnessing with, and he's been there for 30 years too. And then, uh, he ends up, I don't know, something happens in his life and he ends up going down, you know, the wrong path. And, uh, or let's say this, let's say he gets into a car accident and doctor prescribes him pain pills and he ends up getting addicted to pain pills, right? He has no knowledge on what they do to his body. Um, they're giving them these, you know, just get better. 
and um, ends up getting caught up into that, which is realistic. That literally happens. And his life just goes in a downward spiral, right? Still going to church and stuff like that, but he's struggling. He's not voicing it, but he's struggling inwardly. And it just gets unbearable. Um, he starts to um, really get into the, the drug abuse and stuff like that, starts missing church, um, ends up accidentally overdosing and dying, right? That's how his life ended, was not going to church anymore, wallowing in this unfortunate addiction and overdosing and dying that way. Um, would you say that would you deem him as the elect in that situation? Hypotheticals can so, be. Go ahead, Mike. I think in your question. Or would that be. A, so a, what a, I would, would say, how I would say so. this is. Um, so in Ephesians 2.10, it talks about that we are. We have eight and nine that are saved by grace, not by work, not by our doing. Mm -hmm. that we should walk created in Christ in Jesus works. unto good works. Yeah. Unto good works that we're to walk into. That's a, a different um, path. So that is what God has called us to do. Mm -hmm. I think when you get in your hypothetical, the question then becomes, does he st still believe? And, that is a question we can't answer. Now, we may say, looking at external evidences, that he looks like he has fallen away, that he's not mm -hmm. struggling. And, you know, there's a part in which we don't know his heart. If he's not voicing it, we don't know. But even with that, Mike, but, don't lose your thought. But even with that, the person that comes week after week and seems to be doing all the things, checking off all the box, we don't ultimately even know of his heart is is genuine you know what i mean like we can we can look at fruits and say this person is displaying the fruit of a believer but there are lots of people that you know um seem to be walking with the lord and then you see they're they're like committing adultery they're committing tax frauds and doing all these things behind you know closed doors right mm -hmm. and it wasn't there was never any genuine belief in them they were just using that as a cover i don't know i'm sorry mike go ahead so, yeah, so we can look at the externals and we can see the evidence of it. They attend church. They didn't attend church. They've made a profession. It seems like they've they've no longer make a profession. But we know that God knows the heart. God, if God has saved them. Even in your hypothetical if he is struggling against this addiction, which are hard to, I mean, just admit it. They're hard. Mm -hmm. They're physically hard. They're spiritually hard. You need the power and grace of God to overcome them. It's the, so to kind of, well, I don't like, like saying that this is, you know, you have these kind of hypotheticals. I think there's one point in which we have to say is that we don't know the heart. Cause you can have someone going to church, doing all the things and thinking he's working his way to heaven, even though he's going to a gospel church that isn't teaching any of that. Mm -hmm. And yet his heart is, he doesn't believe 
he's doing no, that's, this that's, all. That's so good. I think there, so I think there's even in our belief into thinking about it that we would say that he, if he is saved, he is part of the elect, and God has persevered him to the end. It may not look like that, and that we don't always know what's going on in the heart. That's why I think when we've cautioned this, that when someone makes a profession that, or, you know, seemingly a miracle just to say, well, they're on, they're just, they're saved. I mean, there's, there's evidence in which we should be looking for in those pronouncements, but in the end, the thief on the cross had no evidence Mm-hmm. of his salvation except for the fact that he believed yeah. he believed and i think that matches what you see in first corinthians chapter three about um paul's talking about building up on the foundation and or and in verse 14 goes if works that anyone has built on a foundation he will on the foundation uh, foundation survives he will receive a reward if anyone works is burnt up he suffers loss, though he himself will be saved, right. as but mm-hmm. only as through fire and this kind of purifying aspect. And I think there again that shows that there may be people who struggle who may not look like Christians and they believe, and it is they still receive the righteousness of Christ and get to dwell with him. But again, that's a matter of a heart that we don't know, but we know like on Ephesians that God has given them their spirit as a down payment for their salvation and that it will come to pass. And so to, to kind of think about it in that way is I think helpful. It's in one sense, it can be encouraging, but also I think it also expresses that while we're here on earth, God has given us the power to overcome our sins and that even addiction can be overpowered by God's grace and power. And it's not going to be necessarily quick. It's mm-hmm. not going to be necessarily fast or easy. It's going to probably be long and hard, but then it's God who gives the strength to carry through that. I think, again, that's that, what I would say kind of that second aspect of salvation that now we've been justified, God is working in his power to sanctify us as we go about trying and desiring to obey his will. Yeah, no. Yeah. the re- That was, uh, no, I think that was pretty good. Pretty good. Um, the reason I asked that is, you know, you hear a lot of, um, um, Calvinists or people, you know, that are um, reformed, you know, really zone in on, you know, uh, the evidence of your salvation is your works. The evidence of your salvation is your works, is the outward performance that you display. And um, I think that can be, well, I think it's wrong because, you know, anybody can act like a good Christian, you know, outwardly um, at your church, um, wherever you are, you know, it doesn't matter. I think it, I think the more, um, the, uh, the main evidence is what a person believes concerning 
Jesus Christ, salvation, the essentials. Um, that to me is the more uh, is is the evidence really. So well, that's I like it's. Go ahead. Sorry, I agree with you. I, th I think it's it's the justification, the belief. But we do see Christ say, "You will know a tree by by its fruit." You know, so it's again not that they the the works or the, that a person does is necessarily uh, because if you read, if you read first John, it actually gives you um, points where you're going through and saying, this is what a believer looks like, right? You're going to love light instead of darkness. You're going to love the brethren. These are going to be evidences of a believer. You're going to have the fruit of the spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. You're going to display those. Um, not perfectly because we don't, we're not sinless perfectionists here. We don't believe that once we become a Christian, we just live perfectly. But right. one of the we things see that, that every day in some way, shape or form. Yes. Yes. Yep. I, I have a, I have a, a, a individual that I counsel from time to time who struggles with assurance. And one of the things that when I'm speaking with them and say, well, I fell here and I did this and I knew I shouldn't do this, but I did this. And I'll say to them, I'm like, look, I can't give you assurance. I can't tell you you're a believer. You're not a believer. But for if you're struggling to do the right thing and sometimes you fall, like Paul says, I, how does he say it? I, I want to do the right thing, but I don't. When I want to do the, the wrong thing, I do it or something vice versa. Is it Romans he says 7? I do the things that I should do. Yeah, do the things doing. that, yeah. yeah. And so- <laughs> So, you know, there's this struggle, but that that is, and I tell him, I said, that is something to look as maybe as this evidence of an unbeliever doesn't struggle with their sin. They may feel guilty for cheating on their wife or doing something, but conviction is something only a believer has. That's so if there's point. a struggle, then so if that person is having, um, when you talk about addiction, if that person is struggling and then if they get, if you get addicted to a certain medication, like Mike said, that may take time for that person to, to get weaned off. And that may, that may cause that person to pull away and cause things that it looks like that's not a believer, but if they're still believing and they're still struggling, and I know this is not the right thing to do, but I can't stop myself from doing it. You know, um, that's, we don't ultimately know, right? The heart of an individual. But if someone is struggling with those things, I would say that's a good indication that the spirit is doing something in them. You know what I mean? Yeah. Why would I, there be a battle? You know, right, right, right. Yeah. I'm going to tackle it. I would add that James 2 speaks this too, that our good works justify to the outside world our faith. We can say we have faith, kind of his argument, but how do you know I have faith? Well, Abraham shows his faith by being obedient, by doing what God has commanded him to do. I would, yeah, so, I would say James too is, so, is is us showing our works in the sight of yeah. man. Yeah, yeah, and so in that sense, our works are justify or testify. Might be another way to say it towards our faith that we believe. It's a um, testimony thing. Is kind yeah. of how I look at it. Is, so um, you do good works, you know, outwardly you conduct yourself uh, righteously, not to be justified before God, because yeah. that happened on the cross. That's a done deal. Um, but to be justified in a sense in the sight of man, because they're looking at your, they're looking at you outwardly. They're looking at your works and your performance and how you conduct yourself. Man looks at that and makes their judgments according to what they see you doing. 
right? That's yeah. Would you would say that's what James James Tool is addressing? Yeah, I would yeah. say James is not addressing what we would call the doctrine of justification, right? But more right. of um, showing showing the world, proving to the world that we have this faith that we actually believe. And so I think that flips, you know, on the flip side, someone can say they're a Christian, but if they're not acting in which manners, which the Bible says, I think there's a sense which we should consider them or call them to do it. I think it, even when you get to that ad addiction, you know, it's going to be a person to person. Some may be be harsher. James, I mean, Sometimes you got to speak softly and to encourage them to continue the fight. Obviously, each person's different. That's what makes hypotheticals hard to to do. Yeah, it's in one sense a sterile environment, and humans are messy, and there's all sorts of things that can get in the way and how we we think about these things. Um, but as a foundational core, I think it is. I kind of how I have written about it in academic pursuits is that truly our just our um assurance is when the spirit speaks to our spirit in romans 8 that is how we have assurance i think there's some valid in with john calvin when he talks about that assurance and faith are related the more faith we have been we have the more assurance we have there's a, in a reciprocal and there may be some, I think the Puritans are right in this, that maybe they have faith, they believe, but they're always in this staky kind of little faith. Lord, I believe help my Wait. unbelief. Yeah. Help my unbelief. Yeah. And I think there's, <clears throat> we have to realize, I think, I think Calvin sterilizes it a little bit too much. I think the Puritans kind of, I don't want to phrase that Calvin pr presents a really good, understanding how we should think of assurance and how it rolls, how the Holy spirit works in that role. And then the Puritans acknowledging kind of, in one sense, the experiential realities in which we feel. Yeah. And one of, <clears throat> one of the last videos I did on YouTube was called, uh, have you ever doubted your own salvation? And <clears throat> I talked about that. And I kind of made a distinction between eternal security and assurance and how um, eternal security comes by the finished work of Christ, his shed blood, his, the sufficiency of his atonement is where my eternal security is. I'm eternally secure because of what Christ accomplished, his death, his burial and resurrection. I'm fully justified. Um it's a done deal. My assurance, my assurance throughout my Christian life, it can waver depending on, am I, you know, am I, um, am I struggling in a certain area, right? Walking after the spirit instead of walking after the flesh, mm -hmm. this can open me up to some, you know, I can, I can start to, um, have trouble in my thought life. Um, I could hear some weird doctrine and get caught up into some weirdness and then, you know, cause me to question some things or whatever. This is why Paul warns, you know, believers not to be deceived because we can be deceived, right? Right. As he's writing to the church churches, that warning, you know, in different areas. Um, but yeah, that assurance, that assurance is kind of on us, you know, 
going back to the cross, okay, you know, reminding ourselves, preaching the gospel to ourselves again, essentially, like, hey, you know, this is what was done for me when that assurance is wavering, you know, it's just going back to the sufficiency of his atonement, like it's a done deal, you know, you're secure, you're eternally secure, you know, if you're a believer. Um, but, um, oh, real quick, I, I'm, I'm probably holding you guys up. We got to get going. Um, are you guys familiar with uh, Jeff Durbin? Yeah. So I heard him um, on the street, you know, he talks to Mormon, you know, Mormons, and I enjoy watching his, uh, you know, his uh, witnessing the Mormons and all that stuff. So I've heard him a few different times when he's given his gospel, right? When he's given the gospel and he's saying, hey, you know, the reason I'm out here, he gets to that end point where he's like, hey, the, re the reason, the ultimate reason we're out here is because, you know, um, God loves you and you're made in his image. And um, he starts to give the gospel and he puts in there, um, turn from your sins to be saved, um, to turn away from all your sins to be saved like in his gospel presentation. So do you believe that that's something that's required in terms of salvation is the turning away from your sins? Mike, you're muted. I was coughing. We'll, um, we'll get it down one of these days. I maybe. Um, and, and before you say something, do we want to, do we want to get into this? another day or because, you know, I don't want to put that out yeah. there and then, you know, we got to get off. So that's fine so with me too. We can talk about it a little bit later if we wanted to. Okay. Um, do another show. We're open to another show just to kind of respond to your question. Cause it is, we've mm -hmm. been on now for an hour. Two 40, hours. Yeah. Almost, almost two, hours. two hours. Yeah. <clears throat> um, that I do think, in fact, my light just went out. Um, that, um, yes, yes, repentance is part of it, but the repentance, how do I want, I want to phrase this correctly? Repentance is the response of saving faith. And I think they go together that when one believes on the Lord, they will repent. They will see their sin and they will change their mind and repent of them. And so I do think they go together. That faith and repentance go together. And that when it's when we see ourselves as sinners and that we need a savior. And then the call, as, as Paul would say in... Romans six is that we don't continue on sin, that we have to change our mind on sins. We have to repent. And so I do think those are connected. Now. Are you saying like simultaneously, like I, faith and repentance, the same yeah, time? I think That's they occur saying. in our experience. They occur at the same time that I believe. And in believing, I confess my sins to the Lord acknowledging what i've done and that's repentance again there's you can't i think one of the things that get away with kind of you know you know my my view on repentance uh 
um, Ricky. Don't you? I, it, it's I'm not sure. It, it's it's been a while. I've interacted with a lot okay. of people, but um, yeah. the one thing I think that, and I'll try to keep this brief. But the one thing I think that concerns me at times in the way that I phrase things to people when I'm sharing the gospel, I do call people to repent because I think we see that in scripture, repent and believe Jesus says, repent for the kingdom of, uh, of heaven is in, in hand. Um, we see that with the other apostles as they're preaching and they're, they're calling people to repent and it is a change of mind. It's a, it's a turning from and a turning to, but the one thing I've run across a lot of Pelagians on the street who tell people stop sinning and then turn to God. And so I try to be, careful to explain that. I don't think Jeff Durbin is saying that. Um, like you have to just, like you're turning from all of your sin to be saved. It is, as Mike's saying, is there's, when one believes, that is a, it is with it that one's believing and then they're repenting because they're changing their mind of who they thought God was and coming to the realization of who he is. And then also coming to the realization of who they are before God. They're a sinner. It doesn't mean all of the sin in their life is going to be wiped out because we all sin. And as we read the scriptures more and more, we see more sin revealed to us and we say, man, I'm so unholy and God forgive me for that. You know what I mean? So there's that process in life, but there is a, 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 what we see in scripture of a believe and repent and believe it's going together. You know what I mean? As Mike was saying, but for me, I concern, I, I get concerned when I see these tracks from these Pelagians on the streets that are just yelling at people, telling people stop sinning. And that's what their card says. Stop sinning, humble yourself and turn to God. Well, you can't stop sinning and turn to God. God has to do that comes back to my Calvinism or my reform faith is God has to do a work in your heart. Otherwise your nature is going to stay the same. You, you can't stop sinning, right? Unless God changes your heart and changes your nature, gives you new desires. So and even that's then, a lot. You can't. Yeah, yeah, sinning. and we still right, we still we still fall short. Yeah. Um, I believe. Though, would you say that that's a false gospel presentation? Like, if if somebody from the Pelagians, presentation yes. that, yeah, it is is, yeah. hey, Jesus Christ did you know did did this for you on the cross? You need to turn from all of your sins to be saved. Right. You would say that. Yeah, a false I've gospel, seen it at the right? Derby when I've gone there to preach at the Derby and I've seen them and people come all dressed up. Women are dressed kind of provocative and whatnot. And we're there preaching the gospel to them. And I've seen these Pelagians yell at them and saying, you're dressed like a whore or a hooker. And, you know, God's not going to talk. They're sinners. What do you expect them to dress yeah. like? How do you the, expect the them turn, to ask? The How do you expect them? Right, right, <laughs> yeah. right. So, so that always gives me a pause when I see those things. But it's kind of like, real quick uh, example, the charismatic. I'm not charismatic. I don't know where you are in this. I don't believe in in the gifts I'm, being I'm for a today. Cessationist. Okay, we are too, and but yet I think because of the abuses, sometimes we're afraid to acknowledge the spirit in the preaching or the spirit moving in the lives of believers because of the abuses. And I think so. With that, I check my own self and say when I hear those things, it kind of makes my hairs. Um, stand up on the back of my my neck when I hear people saying, stop sinning and turn to God. Um, but there also is this truth that the Bible says, repent and believe. You know what I mean? Right. Which is, so my, you know, my view on repentance is essentially changing your mind towards God. It's, it's, it, it is that moment of going from unbelief to belief, not um, repenting, not 
repenting of like the individual sins of your life. I believe that we should, obviously. Um, but I believe in terms of salvation, it's going from unbelief to belief, from unbelief to hearing the gospel and believing the gospel is essentially what, what yeah. I believe repentance is. Sometimes is too, sometimes too, I think that again, people are overreacting to what they see in society, in our culture. Uh, I know you don't believe that we can continue in sin, that grace may abound, right? You don't believe that. But that's usually the charge given to those who believe in once saved, always saved, or um, <clears throat> that I eternal security. They, they misinterpret that, that, yeah. that passage. Yeah. Right. But that's usually the, the charge that's given is, oh, you guys that believe once saved, always saved, or eternal security, you just believe you can go on and sin however you want. Right. They saved. make that crazy right. jump and assumption like, right. uh, like, uh -huh. like they assume that believers desire to do that right and so nowhere. i think i think where when you come back to jeff durbin and i i haven't watched a lot of i i know i've seen his videos i, I enjoy uh, a lot of of what i've seen from him but i don't watch all the time but um so sometimes i think what people do is and this may be his or may not is they over they overcorrect what they see in society because we do live in a, a society in a christian evangelicalism in america that basically says you can be a Christian and do what you want. You know, like you can be a Christian and that's why you have the gay Christian network. That's why you have so many churches that aren't really preaching the truth. So many churches like the Marcus Rogers and things that deny the Trinity, but yet everybody holds them up as being Christian. And it seems like they, they get very emotional and have this feeling from music and the jumping around. And so people are saying, no, look, yeah. this isn't Christianity. Repent turn from your sin, turn to Christ. And so sometimes I think people maybe overcorrect what they see in society and want people to know, no genuine Christianity, you will turn from sin. You doesn't mean you'll be sinless, but as you start to recognize that sin in your life, as God is bringing it to the forefront of your mind, when you say, oh, you know, I used to do this. I used to look at porn. I can't do that anymore. That's sinful. That dishonors God. That's, mm -hmm. you know, not, not a, uh, a Christ-like character. I believe... I believe you still, as a true born-again believer, still have the choice and the ability to do that. You do. I, I, I believe that's a fact. But if you do, there's consequences that come with that. Um, but you would say that you're no longer bound to it, though, right? Because you've exactly. been set free. Yes. So, so yeah. yes, no we are no longer those who are in Christ may still do that from time to time. Somebody who struggled with porn may look at it, but they're not bound by it. Mm -hmm. That's the difference no. between a believer right. and someone who's, yes. who's not, they're no longer bound by it. They're no been longer free. a slave to it. Right. Right. Yes. Correct. Well, Jordan, uh, go ahead, Mike. You was going to say something. Yeah. I was just kind of add kind of on the repentance and we can do an entire show on this. And we pretty much almost did an entire show on this <laughs> in a long version. Um, that, the gospel implies this idea of repentance that I've seen myself as, as a sinner in need of um, justification in need of God's saving grace. Mm -hmm. um, I believe that's a so, part of changing so, your mind. I, you do realize yeah. you do understand that you're a sinner. And so Absolutely. like, like and you said, you I agree with you. To be I might not be, 
like when I initially, when I became saved, when God saved me, I didn't repent of all the sins that I've ever done. Um, there was a change of heart that I knew I was a sinner and that I needed God's grace and that I believed him and that um, he created the world. I was a non-believer. I was dealing stuff in science and engineering. Um, beforehand, I held to evolution. And so the idea of repentance, while now as a Christian, as I remember my sins and ask for repentance and ask him to forgive me of my sins, I'm not doing that entire thing kind of when God was saved, was saved me when I, my nature was changed. No, it's, but I did realize because I think it's important that I realized I needed to change my way. I needed to stop sinning and obey to, to kind of use the word to have the, have Jesus, the Lord of my life. And such a, I wish they didn't corrupt that face so much, but that, um, and in that way, and I think there, that idea of repentance, while it's a change of mind has actions that we do. It's to change the mind changes, not only your, your will, what you want to do, but also what you do and, and the kind of that inconnectedness. So I think well, that's what Romans that's two tells us, right? Yeah. No, Roman 12, Roman 12, not two. <clears throat> and so like, I understand what you're saying, but I think there's a sense that like Romans, Romans 12. Yeah. Like, so, but the two are, are kind of distinct. Like you have, like you mentioned, uh, repentance in terms of salvation being justified before holy god right and then you have um um the action part in terms of like not doing certain things or doing certain things conducting yourself in a manner worthy of your calling those are a part of your christian growth and development in christ being in christ well this is this is this is how i see it you know according to scripture in terms of repentance salvation um, repentance in terms of salvation, changing your mind, going from unbelief to belief, and then repentance in terms of after that, or an action, action turning, uh, um, conducting yourself, returning repentance, if you want to call it that, would be a part of your your growth and development in Christ. Your Ephesians two uh, ten is what that would be, if that makes sense. Yeah. I just think they happen simultaneously. Like, I don't necessarily agree, disagree with you. I just think you see a repentant life. In one sense, it's almost as if it is the first work of the Christian when they trust in the Lord, that they are now, because their their mind has been changed. And that's a realization. Yeah, theology, you, you believe yeah. in the gospel. I just think that time frame experientially is so small it's just undistinguishable that when god saves a person they're already changing their minds on a whole bunch of things that god has revealed to him at that time in him and set in saving and so 
Like, I understand your distinction. Mm-hmm. I'll just say that. At least what I hold that is almost immediately that it's that it is same that when one believes he repents and that is just more than just changing my mind about God. It includes that, but that doctrine um, has a direct impact in how we act and what we do. And so you kind of have to have those happening all together in something miraculous like salvation. And I think that the scriptures bear, bear this out when you see, um, and acts. So, but it's 11 o'clock. <laughs> We've yeah. been at this for a couple hours now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. I'm not, but, even, uh, I'm not even going to respond. It, it, was, it was good. I appreciate it. Yeah. Mike, I think you hit something on your mic. Um, yeah. Oh, no, you're good. You're good. Well, Jordan, I, I do appreciate you coming on, brother. I've enjoyed the interaction, the respectful and the grace back and forth uh, conversation. Um, Me too. And so, yeah, maybe we can set something else down the road and talk about repentance or talk about other things. Uh, brother, I really appreciate you coming on and uh, appreciate continue you to uh, preach you. the gospel, share the gospel and and live for Christ, man. So thanks, brother. All right. Praise and peace, guys. All right. God bless. Man. Well, that's God been bless. G220 Radio for tonight. Um, the next week and the week after we are taking a break. We're, we're no longer going to be on. Uh, well, we're not no longer going to be on. We're not going to be on for the next two weeks, taking a break. Mike's going on vacation and we're just going to, you know, take it easy until the new year. Uh, and then we'll come back with some new series and some other conversations that we may have uh, from that point. So until then, Mike, have a good uh, vacation. And to all of you out there, have a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. And we will see you in the new year. Until then, God bless. <laughs>